several years ago, a TV reporter in the States was working on an assignment called The Spirit of Christmas. And he telephoned the British ambassador in the States and said, you've been very kind to us throughout the year. And we'd like to include you in a special Christmas news segment. Tell me, what would you like for Christmas? Now the ambassador was a bit embarrassed. I'm very touched by your offer, he said, but I must decline to accept your gift. Oh please, said the reporter, you've been really helpful to us. So won't you please tell me, what would you most especially like for Christmas? Again, the ambassador uh, refused, but the reporter persisted. So the ambassador finally relented. All right then, if you insist, this Christmas I I would just like a, a jar of mint jelly. Having forgotten about this conversation, the ambassador was surprised when several weeks later, on Christmas Eve, he turned on the, on, the, on the evening news and heard the same reporter say this. We recently interviewed three visiting ambassadors and asked them what they would like for Christmas. These three diplomats gave very revealing answers when they pondered what they would most like during this Christmas season. The German ambassador, he said, I would like to see a peaceful and prosperous decade for the German people and for everyone, every citizen of this planet. The Swiss ambassador, he reported, it is my dream that our world leaders will be guided towards a common goal of peaceful coexistence. And then we asked the British ambassador, who said, I would like a jar of mint jelly. Now, of course, he he completely misunderstood what he was being asked. But I think many of us are actually very like that. We set our sights far too low. We want things and work towards things that in the end are really not important at all. The Apostle Paul didn't think that way though. As he concluded his letter to the Thessalonian church, he set his sights really high for what he wanted for these young Christians. He wanted nothing less than that they would live as God's holy people. So we're going to read just the concluding verses of this this amazing letter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19 down to verse 28. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul 
and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. These Christians had many problems in their lives. They were extremely poor. They were suffering intense persecution. And they were struggling because of recent bereavements in their church community. And Paul cared about those issues. They were not trivial or unimportant in Paul's mind. But neither were they the most important. Instead, Paul's deepest desire, his fervent prayer, was that these believers would be sanctified. Verse 23, verse 24. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He desperately wanted these believers to be sanctified, to be completely set apart from the world and set apart to God. He longed for them to be pure and holy in every aspect of their lives. So that they would be blameless. So that nobody would ever be able to accuse them of wrongdoing. That's a desire that Paul had expressed before in this letter. If you flip over to chapter 2, verse 12, he said that when he was with them, he encouraged and comforted and urged them to live lives worthy of God. And then later in chapter 3, verse 13, he prayed that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all His holy ones. So especially in the light of Jesus' return, Paul wanted these believers to be sanctified. He was looking forward to that day in expectation of rejoicing in the transformed lives of, their, of these believers, in their total commitment to Christ. Do you remember when he said in chapter 2, verse 19, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when He comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And so Paul prayed for these believers that they would be totally dedicated to God. But for that to become a reality in their lives, 
He knew knew that they needed also to be able to discern God's truth. And that's because what we believe impacts how we behave. What we believe impacts how we behave. If we listen to and accept God's truth, then we will increasingly live in a way that honours God. But if we accept false teaching, if we listen to the devil's lies, then we will end up living a life that dishonours God. And so it's so crucial for us to be able to discern between what is true and what is wrong. Truth and error. So Paul said in verse 19 of our reading, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Now, throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit is often likened to a flame. Do you remember the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came on the church in power? It says in Acts chapter chapter 2, verse 3, that they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. This was demonstrating how each of these believers were being filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to live for Christ. And since that day, the Holy Spirit has come and lived in each person who has put their faith and trust in Jesus. If you have trusted in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit has come and lived in you. He is the constant presence of God in all of our lives. And He will never leave us. He will never abandon us. But although He will never leave us, We can either allow Him to work in our lives or we can prevent Him from working in our lives. We can let Him work in fire and power and and, and, and transform our lives or we can quench His work. We can listen to Him And allow Him to teach us and lead us and transform us and empower us. Or we can put out His fire. We can prevent His cleansing, His purifying, His enlightening work. And one of the ways that we can do this is to refuse to listen to what God is saying through His church. So verse 20 says this, Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Now Christians today divide over what they believe prophecy actually means and whether it has a role in today's church and then what that role is. Some people just think when they think of prophecy they think of foretelling the future. And that is one aspect of prophecy in the New Testament. 
But that doesn't seem to be the main focus of prophecy in the New Testament. When Paul talked about prophecy in the church, he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. Everyone who prophesies speaks to men for, the strength, for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. Everyone who prophesies, they speak to people to encourage them. So I guess in its simplest definition, prophecy is something like revealing God or declaring God's directly revealed truth to build up and encourage and comfort believers. It's when God speaks through his people to his church. And Paul was desperate for this young church that they would not reject this revelation. He didn't want them to close their ears to what God was saying to them. He wanted them to be willing to listen and to grow through what God was revealing to them. But crucially, that did not mean they should listen to everyone who claimed to speak from God. Paul knew that there were many false teachers, false prophets around. This is actually something that Jesus warned his disciples against. He said in Matthew chapter 24 verse 11, Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And we can see the evidence of that all around us today. Many people have been deceived by false prophets who've either set up their own religion or who've actually led churches away from the truth. And so Paul urged these young believers to test everything. Test everything. He didn't want them to accept anyone who claimed to speak on behalf of God. Instead, he wanted them to test them. Examine who they were. Examine what they were saying. Whoever they were, whatever role they had, even whatever power they demonstrated, Paul wanted them to go through that process of examining what they said and to check out what they were teaching. And if it passed the test, then he wanted them to hold on to the good. They should accept that teaching. Let it teach them and challenge them and, and put it into practice, apply that teaching to them. But if it did not pass the test, then they should completely and totally reject it. Avoid every kind of evil. They should have a zero tolerance policy on false teaching. Because what we believe matters to God. 
God is a God of truth. And if we want to honour Him, then we need to live in the truth. But how can we do this? What tests should we apply as we examine whether someone is speaking from God or not? Well, I think the standard that we should use is the Word of God. This is what the people of Berea were commended for. Paul went to the city of Berea just after visiting Thessalonica. And when he preached in the synagogue in Berea, it says in Acts chapter 17, that the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. The Scriptures, they are our authority on all matters of belief and Christian living. The Bible is the inspired Word of God. It is God's essential revelation to us. And so it's the standard by which everything else should be measured. So this applies to what people are saying to us. When someone speaks, we need to compare it with what is said in God's Word. If it's consistent with God's Word, then great. But if it contradicts God's Word, then we need to avoid it completely. It's one of the reasons why we encourage you to bring your Bible to church on Sunday. So you can read it for yourself and you can compare what is being said up the front in church to what the Bible says. So if it agrees with the Bible, then accept it. If it contradicts what the Bible says, then reject it, no matter who says it. This is what Paul said to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 1 verse 9. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. That's how God, how, how seriously Paul took holding on to the truth from God. If we want to honour God with our lives, if we are going to be dedicated to Him, then we need to have a zero tolerance of of false teaching. It's not a small matter to, to hold on to things that are contrary to God's Word. It dishonours Him. So we need to carefully examine what people are saying to see if it's consistent with what the Bible says about the Gospel, about who Christ is, about the church, about our lives, about God's will, about the future. And we need to make sure that what we believe, what we're holding on to, is simply what the Bible says. And nothing more than that. But this test also applies 
to how people are living. Not just to what they're saying, but also to how they're living. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 and 16, he said this, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. We don't only recognize false teachers by the things that they say, but also how they're living. Is their lifestyle consistent with the Word of God? Do they follow Jesus' example of sacrificial love? Do they express servant leadership? Do they treat people in a Christ-like way? Do they speak the truth in love? If we're going to be dedicated to God, what we believe matters. And so who we listen to matters. It's so crucial that we discern between God's truth and the devil's lies. So we need to be people who are committed to God's word. This is what Paul wanted these Thessalonians to do. Yes, he wanted them not to treat prophecies with contempt. Listen to those who do truly speak from God. But most of all, he said to them in verse 27, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Yes, it's important to listen to what God is saying through his people. But these believers and us we need to be committed, first and foremost, to God's truth. It's in the Word of God. That's our standard. That's our guidelines. That's the one that we, the, what we need to turn to, to understand what is true and what is not. But we're not supposed to try to do this all on our own. Living a life that is dedicated to God and one that discerns between truth and error is difficult. It's not easy. And so we need each other. So Paul called this church to express love to each other. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss, he said. A kiss on the cheek was a common way of greeting and expressing affection to friends and family members. And Paul wanted them to express that love, that affection to each other. Without any discrimination or favoritism. See, he says, greet all the brothers. Not just the ones you like more than others. They were to express love to all of their brothers and sisters in Christ. That's because they need the support of all of God's people. They need the love and the concern and the encouragement that comes from being together in a community of God's people. Now, of course, these days, this is more difficult to express, isn't it? I'm so glad that this morning you did not greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. That's not allowed today. Sorry. 
But we do need to keep on working out ways to express our love to each other. These days it's maybe a wave. can't even smile. We can smile with your eyes, can't you? I think you can tell when somebody's smiling eh, with their eyes. And you want to express love in whatever way you can. Because we need to stand together in the challenge to live a life that's dedicated to God. But one of the ways that we can still do this is by praying for each other. Verse 25, Paul has said, he asked the church, brothers, pray for us. Paul here, he's a mature believer in Christ. He's an apostle, a church planter. Yet he was humble enough to recognize that he needed the prayer support of other Christians. He was humble enough to recognize that he could not do it on his own. And so, surely we need to pray for each other. We need the prayer support of each other, don't we? We need to come before God and intercede for each other in the challenge to live for Christ. We can do this individually, of course. And I hope that you do pray for each other in your own prayer times. But we also need to do this together, corporately. So can I just urge you again, please join with us in our prayer times when we arrange them, if you can. I know you might be busy, you might have other things you have to do. But if you're free on a Tuesday night, please do log on to to Zoom for a while and, and join us in prayer. It's so important that we pray together as we spend this time supporting each other. (coughs) Excuse me. So we need each other to be dedicated to God. But ultimately and finally, we need to depend on God's grace. Paul finished his letter with, verse 28, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This was Paul's common way to sign off his letters. But it wasn't like these were just throwaway words or a throwaway phrase. It wasn't just a a common thing that he did without thinking. Paul focused at the end on the grace of the Lord Jesus because it was grace that these, these believers needed most of all. It was grace, God's unmerited, undeserved favor through which these Thessalonians had come into God's family. When they put their faith in Jesus and this finished work on the cross, they were saved by God's grace. Their sins were forgiven. They were declared righteous in God's sight. They were welcomed into God's family. Their lives were transformed. And they were set apart to live for God by grace. But it was also by grace that they would be able to continue to experience the transforming power of God. So they would be increasingly live holy lives. They would increasingly be separate from sin and dedicated to God. That's why Paul prayed, may God himself sanctify you through and through. It was by grace. It was God's work 
working in their lives, they would accomplish this. But it was also by grace that one day they would be presented blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of this, from start to finish, was God's work. And so Paul had this sure and certain hope that God would complete it. See what he says in verse 24? The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Paul was sure that one day he would be united with these believers in heaven. Because it was God who called them. And because God is faithful to all of His promises, He would bring them safely home. And folks, this is our confidence today. This is our sure and certain hope. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. So folks, don't set our sights too low for ourselves. Don't settle for something far less than what God has called you to. Let's go after everything that Christ died on the cross to bring into our lives. We've been called to be dedicated to God. To live our lives completely for Him. So let's be discerning of God's truth. Holding on to it and living it out. And let's be devoted to God's people. Supporting one another in love. And let's be dependent on God's amazing grace. Because the one who called you is faithful and he will complete the work that he has begun in us. And one day, we will see Jesus face to face. And we will be like Him.